Well, the last time that we gathered, we studied Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12, where we discussed the topics of marriage and divorce. If you have not heard that teaching, it is available on our website at www.aloveoutreach.com. And, of course, it is also available on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, and such by simply searching for A Love Outreach. But today we will go ahead and finish up chapter 19 of Matthew by taking a look at verses 13 through verse 30. So if you haven't done so already, please go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19 or your phone apps. Uh, And you know what? Um, I think what we'll do is rather than jumping on into verse 13 of Matthew chapter 19 here this morning, we will go ahead and just go ahead and read starting in verse 1 again, and then we'll come to our verses for today. So Matthew chapter 19 Starting in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he said, and he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Jesus was stressing the importance of, of marriage here. They're going to leave and they're going to become one, a man and a woman are going to become one here, right? So then, verse 6, So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now again, we talked about all these verses the last time, so I won't go into much about them here, but we see that what God joins together is a man and a woman. That's the marriage that God has designed, right? Verse 7, they said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So divorce was never meant to be. God never thought that this was a union that could ever be broken. And in God's eyes, it is not and cannot be broken. Okay? So then, verse 9, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to worry. But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. 
He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. So again, we discussed all those verses. And the last time we looked at Matthew chapter 19, you can go to our website, go to those other venues that I mentioned earlier, and listen to that teaching if you weren't here last time, or for those of you who watch on the internet, if you haven't heard that teaching, I suggest you go back. But we're going to go ahead and move on now. Verse 13 says, Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Now, it's kind of interesting to me that as we come out of the topic of marriage and divorce, we go right on into the subject of little children coming to Jesus. We, of course, know that all too often it is the children that suffer the most as a result of divorce, right? The scars are deep, and there are scars that happen in the lives of children, in their hearts, right? And unfortunately, in many cases, it's irreversible from a mental aspect, okay? At least in the world, without God coming into that child's life and making that change, right? But the good news, though, for the children is that God cares for them. And he desires to touch them as we see Jesus laying hands on the children. He desires to touch them and to have compassion on them. Now, this is not, I'm not just talking about children that have gone through their parents divorcing, but if you have, and that has scarred you and that has hurt you, Jesus is there for you. You can call out to him. You can give your life to him. As we'll talk a little bit more about what that means as we go on here. But Jesus cares for all the children, right? Jesus loves and cares for the hearts of children. And a childlike heart is what the kingdom of God is all about, right? And, and that's what God is, that's what the Lord is talking about here, right? Childhood should be protected. Children should be handled with extreme care for every aspect of their lives, physical, emotional, spiritual. Children should be brought up in the Lord and taught to love and to honor and to reverence the Lord. A child's heart should be carefree and unburdened and and pure. And and this is the example here of what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like, what it's made up of. Jesus indeed loves the little children, but he also uses the children in this example here to teach us what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is all about. And as we seek the kingdom of God, because remember, Jesus tells us to seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? As we seek the kingdom of God, we need not worry. We need not worry about the things of this world, the things of this life, come what may, whatever happens, because we know that God will supply our every need. He will take care of those who trust in him those who serve him, those that give their lives to him wholeheartedly. And that's what it is 
to be a servant, and we'll see that more as we go on in this teaching, right? And remember, the yoke of Jesus is easy. The burden is light, right? We as full-grown adults can cast all of our cares on Him because He cares for us as well. We can cheerfully go through life in a light-hearted, playful manner, if you will, as we make the kingdom of God our top priority because we're real, we realize we're just passing through. We don't have to let things burden us in this life. Who knows what lies ahead in the future for us, right? Who knows what tomorrow holds? But we can know who holds tomorrow and we can trust in Him. Okay, no need to worry. And this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, right? It's what it's like to be a servant of God, a servant of the, the Most High, the Lord, right? In the world, yes, there are indeed tribulations, right? Things happen, right? But we can be people of good cheer because we know that God is working all things together for our good. He's going to work it all out. He's going to take care of us. Right? And that's what the heart of a child is like. And a child that has good parents, they, they rest in the fact that their good parents will take care of them. And we, as born again believers in Jesus Christ, have a good Father, a good Lord that watches over us as well as we dwell within His kingdom and as we seek Him. For now, we're in a place that is corrupt. We live in a world that can go bad. We live in a world where people can act very badly. People look out for themselves and not for the needs of others. But you know what? For the believer in Jesus Christ, this is the worst place we're ever going to live. It's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. Soon and very soon. Soon and very soon, we will eternally be with our Lord. So Jesus here addresses the children. And then in verse 16, it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God, but if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, I'm going to come back and touch on some different things here. But here, here we see this man comes along and he, and he calls Jesus good. Jesus says, why are you calling me good? No one is good but God. But I want to take a little time here right now, because we haven't talked to this as a group. We've talked about this as a group for quite a while here. But I want to, I want to talk about some scriptures here I want to point you to, and I'm actually going to have you turn to these scriptures. And uh, there's a longer list than, than what I'm going to go through here. But what does the Bible teach about the deity of Jesus Christ? All right? So I want you to start out by going ahead and marking this page first. And then, or I always want to say pages, you know, I know most of you are using phone apps now and such, but I still love my Bible, the pages, myself, I read it. 
though I put my notes and everything on the computer here, but I love the Bible still. Just the, I mean, the physical Bible, and I'm not saying that the phone apps aren't the Bible. Don't get me wrong here, but I just love holding the book, you know. But anyway, John chapter 1, go ahead and turn there, John chapter 1, and um, very familiar verses to many of you, to some of you listening, maybe not so familiar, maybe you've not really been in the Bible very much yourself, okay? But we're going to look at John chapter 1, and then in verse 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, so John 1, the gospel of John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. See that? He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. Okay, He created everything. This Him, this He, this Word created everything. He was there in the beginning, okay? So who is this word that is spoken of here? Who is this one that was there in the beginning with God, was God, and made everything? We'll go ahead and jump down to verse 14. You can read these other verses in between a little bit later, but it's, you'll see why I'm doing this here if you do. But verse 14, and the word, okay, that was there in the beginning with God, right? Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So obviously here, this word that was there in the beginning with God and was God and made everything was Jesus who dwelt among us, dwelt among mankind, right? Now, if you turn to Philippians chapter 2, what are, we, what are we, we got? John here, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. In the New Testament, Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to read verse 5. Start reading in verse 5. So Philippians 2. Five. It says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, so just a quick interjection here. We are talking about Jesus here in these verses. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who, speaking of Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So this is saying here that Jesus was in the form of God. He was equal with God. But he lowered himself and became flesh, became a man. Verse 8, and being found in the appearance as a man. Oh, there he is. The one that was there in the beginning made all things. Look, there he is. He's, He's appearing as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. So here's God in the flesh. He humbles himself, become obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It's not just like, I'm going to pick the way I'm going to die and it's going to be some, I'm going to die in my sleep. Jesus didn't do that. It was crucifixion, death on the cross. 
Therefore, God has God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Remember, Jesus taught us in John chapter 4, verse ah, 24, um, that God is spirit. This God who is spirit, he took on human flesh or became flesh, if you will, and he dwelt among us like we saw there in John chapter 1. His name, as mankind can know this God, is Jesus. That's in our language, the English language, we know him as Jesus. And his name is above every other name. Every other name. No greater name. Verse 10 goes on and says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, think about that. Everyone bows to Jesus, even in heaven. Why? He's God. And and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay? So he was God in the beginning, and he became flesh, right? Verse 8 is the key verse there, or really I should say um, verse 6, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, okay? So he humbled himself. He became flesh and he dwelt among us, okay? Then now go ahead and turn back to the Gospel of John again. And I'm just going to have us look at one quick little verse here. John chapter um, 10. John chapter 10. The Gospel of John chapter 10. And we're just going to look down and read verse 30. Something here that Jesus himself says. John chapter 10, verse 30. It says, Jesus speaking here says, I and my Father are one. Okay, remember, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. Okay, I and the Father are one. It's a very blatant and a a very matter-of-fact statement from Jesus as to who he is. God is spirit, existed in the beginning, Right? Existed before, for all eternity has existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? He became flesh, which of course is who? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Who's the one that, that, we, that became flesh? That would be the Son, right? Born of a virgin. Born like as we were. Right? Born of a virgin. The Son. And we know Him as Jesus. And we know him as our Savior, as our Lord, our coming King. Again, soon and very soon we will be with him. Then if you just look back here, if you stay in John here and you look back a page or two in your Bible, or we look at chapter 8, John chapter 8, and we look down at verse 58. 
Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham, think about that, Abraham, long before the time of Jesus on the earth. And Jesus is saying here, before Abraham was, I am. See that I am, the great I am. Okay, a very, another very blatant, very matter-of-fact statement regarding the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to stop here in these scriptural examples, but you can look for yourself uh, at a few more verses um, where you can see more of this kind of thing. Hebrews 1.8, if you want to write it down or make a note, Hebrews 1.8, Mark 2, 9 through 12, John 20, 28 and 29, and Titus 2, 12 and 13, All right? So as we turn back now to Matthew chapter 19, I brought all of that up to you there about the deity of Christ because this man calls Jesus good in verse 16 and Jesus pointed out to him, so we're back in Matthew chapter 19, right? But Jesus uh, pointed out to him in verse 17 that there was no one good except God. So this man was really testifying to the fact that Jesus was God. But also in verse 17, Jesus tells this man that if he wants to enter into life, keep the commandments. And then continuing on in verse 18, he said, he said to him, which ones? So this, one, this man says to Jesus, which, which ones? Jesus said to him, you know, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And you kind of got to put this tone in, in the way this guy said this, based on his reaction here that we'll see, right? What do I still lack? And he might be thinking, hey, I don't lack anything. I've done all that ever since I was a kid. I've done all that. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, right? That is whole, right? Go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Shortly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. See, we see the terms there, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God used interchangeably here. It's talking about the same thing. That's why you've seen as I've gone through Matthew with you thus far, I use both terms. Okay. But the moral of this story here that we just read is, sure, if you are a good person that wants to have eternal life in heaven, then you're, you're going to be a person that keeps the commandments. Of course you are. The Spirit of the Lord is going to lead you to do so, right? You're not going to be a lying thief that doesn't love other people and then profess to be a Christian or profess that you're going to heaven, Right? But there's something deeper to it as well. And that's what Jesus makes clear here to this young man, that it is a matter of the heart, right? Where your treasure is, Jesus said, there your heart will be also. 
where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this man had great possessions, it says, so he treasured those possessions. His stuff, his money, you know, he had far too much of it, and and it, it, it possessed him. And he didn't want to let it go to become a follower of Jesus. Right? And coming to Jesus is dying to yourself. It's a commitment. It's, it's taking up the cross and it's following after Him. This man wasn't willing to do that. Are you willing to do that? To come to Jesus wholeheartedly. Give Him your life. Sacrifice maybe friendships. And maybe family members will turn their back on you and begin to think of you as a freak, a Jesus freak. But this is what Jesus requires for the one that comes unto him, right? And this is the reason that today, even still, people are not really willing to come to Jesus. They'll, they'll come to a religion, but they don't truly want to, with all their heart, come to Jesus. They don't want to know what the Bible teaches. They don't really want to know what the Bible says. They don't want to hear this kind of thing. They'd rather just follow their religion. It's a safe place for them. right? This man, hey, I did all that since I was a kid. I've dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, but it goes deeper. It's a matter of the heart, right? To, the, to many people, their religion is fire insurance. Keeps them from going to hell, they think. But there's far more involved in being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's you're willing to give your all, everything about you. Not hold on to possessions, not worship and you know, these things as idols and hold on to them and have them rule and run your life. The person that comes to Christ that has great riches is a generous person, a given, a giving person, right? Verse 26 continues on here and says, when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Think about that. We're talking about salvation here, entering heaven, the kingdom of God. We're talking about salvation. These disciples knew it. And they said, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Okay. And and when you give your life to Christ, the spirit of God will come in you and cause you to love God more than you love the things of this world. More than you love anything in this world, you will love God. And that's the work of God in your heart for the person that comes to the Lord. Right. But then Peter answers and said to him in verse 27, see, we have left all and follow you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, "Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the son of man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
So Jesus was assuring his 12 disciples here something, right? They indeed left all to follow him. Remember when he called them? They had a special calling. They dropped their nets. They left what they were doing. They left everything behind and they followed Jesus, right? And it seems that upon Jesus's encounter here, though, with this rich young man, um, the disciples had a rude awakening. Oh, they all of a sudden, something dawned on him, them here. They now realize that they've left it all behind and they weren't going back to it. See, Jesus would use these disciples now and take them forward to begin to spread the gospel into all the world. The good news, the message of we need to repent and come to Jesus and be born again of the Spirit and have eternal life, that's good news. You see, this life isn't all there is. And at some point in time, life fails. At some point in time, the things that we trust in around us, even the possessions that we have, can be shook up, right? And we realize, ah, it's not as firm a foundation as we once thought, is it? Right? But these disciples now realize that the possessions that they had, they weren't going back to it. And they wanted to know what was ahead for them. And and they indeed were going to have a special place in heaven. And Jesus told them they would. And it was going to be the spirit of God that would make this possible in their lives. And it's the spirit of God that makes it possible for everyone, like I said earlier, to serve the Lord, to love him with all of your heart. They wouldn't be able to do it. The disciples wouldn't be able to do what they did without the Spirit of God. And you won't be able to serve the Lord Jesus in this life right now without the power of the Spirit of God. Many people are practicing religion today. Going along through the motions of their church and such or whatever it might be but they don't have the power of God. There's a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. So therefore, they don't preach the gospel. Therefore, they don't warn others of what lies ahead, what's coming. And it's important that we do. And that's why I do this. That's why I do what I do here. To let you know that this life is temporary. This life can be shaken. It can be broke. It can fall apart. The things that you may trust in now will fail you. But Jesus never will. And he has eternal life for the one that is willing to leave all, to forsake all and come to him. Right. Again, these disciples, none of us are able to do it without the help of God. And coming to Jesus is a matter of the heart. You must be willing to leave all and to follow him. It's a serious commitment, not a casual religion. It's a serious commitment, not a casual religion, a life in Jesus Christ. And Jesus continues in verses uh, 29 and 30 here. And everyone, so he addressed the disciples. Now everyone, he says, who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. So it's about humility. 
It's about having less. It's not about having more. You see, when we come to God truly with all of our hearts, when we come to the Lord, we come trusting that He now will supply our needs. We are now making the priority, like I said earlier, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, doing what's right, serving God with all of our heart, loving God with all of our heart, taking up the cross, denying ourselves, and following after Him, considering others as better than ourselves. This is the true servant of God, the true servant of Jesus Christ. Many people blast Christianity because of religion, because of people that are, have that casual religion, but not a serious commitment. The true follower of Jesus Christ is the one with the serious commitment who leaves all to follow him and doesn't let the things of this world, the things that can be shaken, the possessions of this life be, the found, be their foundation because that can crumble it can, and it can all go away at any time, right? So we'll go ahead and close this chapter here for today. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your goodness, your love, your grace. Thank you, God, that you have given us your, your holy word, Lord, your Holy Spirit. You have not left us comfortless. You have not left us alone, Lord. You have given us hope and a future, and we find it in the pages of the Bible, Lord. And I pray that those that are listening to this, Lord, will come to trust in you, Lord, and let go of the things that crumble, the things that fall, the things that are temporary in this life, Lord, and that they would give their hearts and their minds completely to you, Lord, and trust in you, Lord. Oh, Lord, we love you. And we love you, Lord, only because you first loved us. Thank you for your great love for us, Lord. I pray your will to be done in all of our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.